Our scripture lesson for Palm Sunday is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. And this translation is by Alan Dale. Jerusalem was at last in sight. Near the Olive Hill, Jesus sent his friends to a village. Go into the village facing you, Jesus said, and just as you go in, you'll find a donkey. It'll be tied up and it hasn't been broken in yet. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone asks you why you are doing this, tell them the master needs it and he'll send it straight back. They went off and found the donkey tied at a door outside in the street. They untied it. What are you untying the donkey for? Asked some of the bystanders. They said what Jesus had told them to say and the men let them take it away. They brought the donkey to Jesus and threw their clothes on its back. Jesus sat on it. People spread their clothes on the road and others cut leafy branches from the field and spread them out. All the crowd, those in front and those behind, shouted the words from the old Bible hymn, Hosanna, happy is he who comes in God's name. Happy is the kingdom of David, our father, a thousand times. Hosanna. In the name of God, the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In 1984, Sally Field won an Academy Award for the role that she played in the movie Places in the Heart. She played the role of Edna Spaulding, the wife of a popular sheriff in a small Texas town during the Great Depression. Along with their son and daughter, this couple lived a modest but happy life. But their world was brutally torn apart one day when her husband was shot and killed in the line of duty. Now, suddenly, Edna had to face life as a single parent during the Depression. And without the income from her husband, their financial security for the future was fragile, to say the least. She decided that her best option to create some sense of security for her family going forward was to plant cotton on the small farm where they lived. And to do this, she was assisted by a rather interesting collection of people. For example, a white man who had been blinded in the First World War came to live with her as a lodger. And from him, she derived a small amount of rental income and that helped to ease the financial pressure. And then there was a young homeless black man who'd been moving through the county, actually stealing from local farms. And when he tried to do that on Edna's farm, she caught him and then actually co-opted him into becoming the manager of this farming operation that she was about to start. And then there were all of the black men, uh, women, and children who became the workforce to work on this endeavor to plant this cotton. At one point, in this grueling enterprise, uh, because these people toiled together day after day to plant the cotton and then to harvest it, the whole effort looked like it was going to implode. The weather was against them, falling cotton prices were against them, their lack of knowledge was against them. So one night, in the kitchen of the family home, Edna confronted her children and the few people upon whom she'd grown to depend as her colleagues in this endeavor, and she confronted them. She said, look, I don't care what it takes. I don't care if it kills me. I don't care if it kills you. I'm not going to give up. 
that was great leadership. Because someone in that situation had to keep their eyes on the prize, on that distant goal of being able to be successful in this venture. And this was a goal that really none of them could see. It was visible only by faith. As the old saying goes, not everything we face can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Edna knew that in every effort that demands the utmost of our strength and our willpower and our vision, there comes a time when we wonder if we can pull it off. Her determination may have been hard to hear, especially for those who were closest to her, but there was hope in it. She said, I'm not going to give up. And she was carrying all of them along with her. So once those hard truths had been told, once the commitment had been made, the work could once again be embraced even when the outcome was still unclear. James Baldwin, one of our great African-American writers, once said, the role of the artist is exactly the same as the role of the lover. If I love you, I have to make you conscious of the things you don't see. Edna Spaulding understood that there are times in life when we need to use an exclamation point in order to make people see, in order to help people become conscious. In his book, Leadership Without Easy Answers, this is exactly what Ronald Heifetz says. He said, sometimes leaders can be a pain because they induce pain in the organization they serve, not because they want to harm anyone, but because they are drawing people's attention to their capacity to meet the problems that they have to solve. Edna had to help those around her to really see what was at stake for all of them, and then to see in themselves the capacity to rise to meet this challenge. And she was not afraid to use some pretty brutal language to make her point. Will Williman, who taught for many years at Duke Divinity School, once taught a class on clergy leadership. And in that class, he invited one of his colleagues to speak. And his colleague asked the student, what is the most important thing pastors offer to their congregations? One of the seminarians replied, just to be present with people, listen, love, and stand with them. That's not good enough, snapped back this professor of pastoral care. You must have the courage to be a Christian caregiver. You can't do that without being a truth teller. Individuals and congregations can't get better unless somebody cares enough to help them hear and respond to the facts. That's what Edna was doing. She was a truth teller who added an exclamation point into the lives of those around her so they could achieve their goals together. Jesus seems to have understood that his life was always heading towards a time of dramatic truth-telling. After three years of moving among people in the intimacy of their homes in the small villages of Palestine, he chose to instigate exactly the kind of clarifying moment that Edna created in her kitchen. And that meant going to Jerusalem. In some ways, every step he ever took was designed to get him to Jerusalem. That's where he had to go to confront the center of a religious system that was no longer really nourishing people's lives, that was no longer serving a vision of a flourishing people. 
So <clears throat> Herbert O'Driscoll said this about Jesus and his entrance into Jerusalem. When Jesus approaches that long ago city, the thunder of acclamation swells, but deeper and distant at other levels of the city's life, the thunder of rejection and retribution gathers. And so it is when the Lord tries to move against the walls and gates of our own inner city, that city which we hold so jealously against any invasion, where even familiar friends are allowed only with care, and then only into areas prepared and selected for their presence, we offer both welcome and warning, acceptance and distrust. Yet Jesus entered Jerusalem that day and he enters the human heart day by day until time ends. He went there to enter into the temple, this extraordinary uh, place of worship in Jerusalem to turn over the tables uh, that were there in order to communicate to people that he was not satisfied with the way the religious institutions of his day were supporting the spiritual lives of the people. Now Jerusalem was also where Jesus had to go to confront the Roman leadership that occupied his country, enslaved his people, and executed in massive numbers those who were in any kind of resistance against uh, the Romans who were there in that place. So in the days before Passover, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, there were actually two processions that moved into the city. One of them was a peasant procession. That was Jesus and his friends moving into the eastern part of the city. And of course, this is the Palm Sunday story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. But coming into the western part of the city, there was another procession, an imperial procession led by the governor of that area, Pontius Pilate. Now, he wasn't there for religious observance. He was there because Jerusalem was packed with so many people that there was always this sense that some kind of uprising might take place. So he was there to quell the possibility of any rebellion. In their book, The Last Week, John Dominic Crossan and Marcus Borg talk about these two conflicting processions, an imperial procession, all about power and domination, and then a peasant procession, all about the kingdom of God and nonviolence and humility. And he tries to, they try to help us in this book imagine what that imperial procession was like and how different it was from what Jesus was doing. They ask us to imagine this procession's arrival in the city. It's a vision of power. Cavalry on horses, foot soldiers, leather armor, helmets, weapons, banners, golden eagles mounted on poles, sun glinting on metal and gold, sounds, the marching of feet, the creaking of leather, the clinking of bridles, the beating of drums, the swirling of dust, the eyes of the silent onlookers, some curious, some awed, some resentful. That was the imperial procession. But then you have the procession of which Jesus was a part. So when he, Jesus, decided to enter Jerusalem, he was offering a different kind of exclamation point. And he did it with a donkey. The interesting thing about the Palm Sunday story is that for all of the references to palms and acclamation, it's really this quiet animal that's at the heart of the story. 
Several hundred years before Jesus was born, one of Jesus' spiritual ancestors, one of the great prophets of Israel, had imagined a new kind of leader rising up for Israel, a religious leader entering into the city of Jerusalem as a king, but riding a beast of burden, a humble animal, a servant animal. The donkey was an exclamation point for that vision, as if to say, if you wanna know what values this person is going to bring into the national life of our country, it's going to be humility, service, stubbornness, persistence. So, seated on a donkey, rather than on a mighty war horse, Jesus told the truth that power is for serving. Leadership is for guiding people toward their spiritual gifts that help them to meet the challenges of the day. And humility is the way you get things done, not by pushing, shoving, demanding, or coercing. And when his disciples and his friends shouted out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, they weren't talking about Caesar. They were talking about a donkey riding man named Jesus. It was an uncomfortable truth in that imperial context that Jesus was introducing into the world. And of course, Jesus paid the ultimate price for telling that truth. As far as I can tell, Jesus was never afraid to introduce uncomfortable truths into the lives of, his, of those around him. And I imagine that most of us have benefited from time to time when others have helped us to become conscious of important things in our lives even when we were deep in denial. Maybe it was a word from a doctor, a counselor, a good friend, anyone who has made us conscious of something that we didn't want to see but ultimately had to face in order to live a healthier or a holier life. Atticus Finch was such a person. There's a scene in To Kill a Mockingbird when Atticus confronts his children Scout and Jem about an incident involving their neighbor, Mrs. DuBose. She had tormented the children for their father's role in defending a black man on trial for rape. So one day, Jem took his revenge by grabbing a baton and bashing all of Mrs. DuBose's prized bushes and flowers. And Atticus punished the children by having them go to her home and read aloud to her for two hours every afternoon for a month. Finally, the month was up, and not long afterward, Mrs. DuBose died. The children were surprised when Atticus told them that she was addicted to morphine and that their reading sessions helped her to wean herself so she could die in freedom. He said to them, I wanted you to see what real courage is. It's when you know you're licked before you begin, but you begin anyway, and you see it through no matter what. You rarely win, but sometimes you do. I think about Jesus bringing his exclamation point of peace and love and compassion, riding on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem with all that imperial power around him. What extraordinary courage, what extraordinary boldness. So thank God for those who help us to see clearly what we would rather deny so that we just might be able to see the world through the eyes of God. 
see beyond those things that might first catch our attention and annoy us and turn us off towards deeper things, more human and more loving things. And thank God for those times when we will be called upon to speak such truths that others may not wish to hear, but in the hearing of which they might find some life-saving truths and perspectives towards a healthier and holier life. And when the time comes to make an exclamation point for life and love and peace, may we make it with boldness and humility and love. Amen.